at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Welcome to another episode of Troy Noons as an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, hello. How are you today, sir, as we, uh, we prep for Thanksgiving and, uh, and one last football game and the first full day without Scott Schaefer as head coach of the football team? Uh, I am somewhat sleep-deprived because going out till 3 a.m. in New York City on a Monday is a thing that happens, but I feel pretty good and kind of happy we get to move forward as a uh, football program here. Yes, so I guess kind of dive into that a little bit, Dan. Um, you know, obviously, I think you and I have kind of said, not that we were openly calling for Schaefer's removal, but wanted to see a direction, you know, trending positively. And, and, and if that meant, you know, getting rid of him, great. And if that meant something else or, or changes below him on the, on the staff, whatever. But um, what, what do you think is the straw that broke the camel's back? Do you think it's the events both during and after the game on on Saturday uh, against NC State, or do you think that this is a culmination of just a, a, another lost season at Syracuse? Um, I mean, it's definitely the what's played out on the field first and foremost. I mean, if he was winning, he probably, you know, we wouldn't really be talking about the personal fouls too much, but I just don't think he did himself any favors with all of the stuff, uh, both on the sideline and, and then after the game with kind of some, some shoddy press conferences. So... Um, if, if there was a chance for him to kind of save his job, even with the subpar record, I, I don't think he's, he did the things in uh, how he presented himself off the field that or, I guess, on the sideline, getting multiple late-game personal fouls in games that weren't, like, 100% over, um, <coughs> having a bunch of players do the same last game. So I think all these things just kind of piled up, and, and it kind of made the, uh, the decision... I think it was Chris uh, Carlson who wrote like it was probably more obvious than we than we wanted to to admit, but um, I think it was probably the right move um, going forward. Just you know, because we really couldn't. I don't know if we could really afford a third straight uh, season if it started to go like that. And I think this team has uh, some serious talent that can go bowling next year if the the right program, the right coach, and the right system is in place. So um, luckily, we have that going for us. I think. Yeah, I mean, what I've found weird is that, you know, there's so many people complaining about, <coughs> excuse me, that, you know, Schaefer uh, just needs one more year with these guys. They're all talented and all that. And, and I agree, there's some talented players on this team. But I guess my counter, and I know you probably agree here, is that um, if they're this talented, a new coach and maybe a better coach, when it comes to in-game planning, um, play calling, etc., is going to get even more out of them. And this team could potentially, you know, swing right back up to, you know, a 6-7 win mark next year, potentially, um, with the right guy, and I guess to me, you know, like, giving, I, I'm all for giving a coach time if I think that that's the right thing to do, um, and I think that that, <coughs> excuse me, um, and, you know, you see progress, but the one problem here is that we haven't been seeing progress for Schaefer now for, I think, the last, I mean, I'll, I'll say about 23 games, there's, there's been minimal uh, progress at best. I mean, we see an improved offense. We see a very, very, um, you know, <coughs> diminished defense in terms of its effectiveness, however, over those last 23 games. Um, and yet, you, you can't, you, you can give more time, but you can't give more time when, when, when there's no real progress shown. Um, so I, I'm hoping that that, that kind of, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, that, that that gives a cue to uh, to these players that you know, just like these coaches, you have talent. We know that. Now we need to see the results, and a new coach could potentially get that out of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, understand, <coughs> I understand the thoughts of changing, changing systems and changing coaches and, and losing continuity. And losing continuity um, kind of, stab, kind of stab, stymies the progress that a program can make. Um, 
and I do think that's true to to an extent. It probably holds, you know, probably keeps teams from really ascending. Like we always say, Pitt, you know, Pitt hasn't been a great team for a while, but they've been pretty consistently decent, even though the team coaches all the time. And even at Syracuse, obviously we the defense is also likely to change depending on what the new coaching staff does. Offensively, but we've pretty offensively, we've pretty much rolled over this offense. How many times in the last since Marone started? I mean, he brought in uh, what's his name from Clemson, his first year, the bubble screen guy, whose name is escaping me. Um, that that was only lasted like not even a full year, ten games. And then we had ton of that ground and pound offense for a year or two. And then we had the, uh, Nate Hackett like last minute um, offense, which. Uh, which took over in 2012, like a week before the season, and then we had a new offense in 2013, then we had a new offense in 2014, then we had a new offense in 2015. So it's not like this has been, you know, the same program in terms of scheme and, and everything else that's just been kind of building up to a point. Like this team, even if it doesn't change, change coaches all the time, it's been changing the way it, it approaches the game on a pretty consistent basis year by year, except for on, on the offensive side, at least the defense is pretty much the same. Pretty much the same, but so, um, we're gonna have a new so we're gonna have a new offense next year. Like we have almost every single season up to this point since. I think even through G-Rob, we had a new offense coordinator every single year. So that's not anything new, and I don't think it's anything to be totally afraid of because what's been going on the last couple years has not been working. And defensively, defensively, obviously, this is like the first really terrible year under Schaefer. I think every other year, pretty okay. Or if not good or very good, but um, I mean, I mean, we have to trust uh, that the new coach can bring in someone who can at least uh, kind of maintain what has been the general uh, the general quality of defense over the last seven years. Um, but it's not like the I mean, defenses have had been pretty good units for most of those years. But it's not like they were, you know, Michigan State or or some of these other like absolutely elite programs. So it's not something you know. It's not something that's unattainable by any means. So I don't think we should be as afraid of change here as, as some people probably. No, absolutely. And I, I think perspective, you know, is something that Schaefer preached but didn't always, you know, practice. Um, I, I think that, you know, when you look at, like you said, the defense was good. It was never. It was rarely, if ever, great. I think maybe 2013, and even then, that team got lit up a couple times. Um, you know, there were definitely some great defenses in there, and I think Schaefer gets a lot of credit for bringing the defense, um, you know, to, to the high level it was at and, 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 you know, having a calling card of just a really aggressive approach. Um, I think throughout the conference, folks were really complimentary of just what that defense did um, week in and week out. Now, this year, obviously, things kind of fell apart a little bit, uh, and that's, I'm sure, another big issue if you're, uh, Mark Coyle, and I know uh, Andy on the site wrote this um, yesterday. Um, you know, if you're Mark Coyle and this is the story you're reading, like, do you really want to finish the book? Um, it, it's, it's, it was a bad year for, for, Schaefer to, for Schaefer's defense to fall apart. Um, and then it was obviously, you know, a bad year for, for injuries to, and I don't even think there were as many as last year by any means, but um, it was a bad year for injuries to take hold. I, I think... There's no reason why Syracuse can't have... I mean, you look at what Boston College is doing. There's no reason why Syracuse can't have a top-10 defense if Boston College can have, you know, the top defense in the country or a top-five defense in the country. Um, there's no reason why Syracuse can't have, you know, a top-30 offense when we've had a top, you know, 30-40 to 40 offense um, in the last five years. Um, so whether it's a fan base accepting mediocrity far too much or people writing too many excuses, um, you know... Changing coaches isn't necessarily turmoil. It isn't necessarily um, unnecessary upheaval either. Um, changing coaches can be a very good thing. Can establish order and, and and process and and you know actually create some consistency. Where, like you said, there really hasn't been any uh, at this program for well over a decade now. Yeah, and yeah, and and obviously that was what we attempted with the Schaefer hire. And I think at the time. Um, back in 2012, 2013, I think most of us were on board with it. So this isn't like, oh, we told you so at all. I think most of us were like, maybe even if he wasn't the first choice, I, I think we were all pretty cool with the idea of handing him over. I think he earned a shot. And it didn't work out. So 
Um, now is time for, uh, I mean, now Coil gets to make his, get his die in there, and, and he uh, he will ultimately uh, sink or swim largely with this hire. So uh, I expect him to do his due diligence and, and get a, a good guy in here. But um, I definitely think this is a team with some potential on the roster. I know people have been kind of bleak in terms of where he fits into these job openings and, and into <coughs> best jobs in the ACC, best jobs in the country list, and that's fine. Um, ultimately, uh, that only goes as far as a coach will allow it to. So, um, I mean, there's been a winner in Upstate New York before, so I'm not going to go and set and, and believe that it can't happen again, even if it's not you know, a top 10 program every year. I think we can build something that the fans can be proud of and come out and watch and enjoy. Um, Far more than what we've had the last 15 uh, years, uh, which we are still kind of digging out of. But um, I think uh, I think uh, I hope everyone kind of comes around and, and throws their support behind this new whoever the new guy is because um, I think this is a very important moment uh, in this program's history right now. Um, we kind of saw the light at the end of the tunnel for a bit with Marone, and we've fallen back a bit. But um, hopefully, we get someone who's uh, exciting and, and has some good ideas. And I think there are more candidates out there uh, than people are, some people are acknowledging, and I think Syracuse, if presented the right way, could be a really good job. Um, I mean, that order on. Maybe he, uh, I think there's a chance he actually helped us out a bit. Yeah, um, you know, I guess, why don't we get into that a little bit first? Um, you know, Orgeron just offering any sort of interest, I, I think is a big boost um, to maybe those who hadn't even considered us, um, really weren't looking you know, to head to Syracuse versus maybe elsewhere. Obviously, it, it was uh, within 24 hours of, of Schaefer being fired. So this is, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, but for you, like, who are a couple names that maybe um, sound interesting, even if they're not, you know, the, the like, biggest name hires? And then I guess who do you think is, is of those, could be the most realistic? Um, the guy I've been pinpointing a lot is Mike Sanford, the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. I think in a year where there are 14, maybe 15, I mean, by the end of the year, it's going to be probably 30 openings, you know, because of, you know, one guy taking another job. Um, I think we're probably like a year or two early on him being a huge candidate for these jobs. I think Bob Diaco was probably the same way a couple of years ago, where... Uh, where you know, if he had waited a year, maybe he would be getting P5 jobs and not UConn, and obviously he's done a really good job there. Um, but Sanford has uh, coached under uh, Coyle before at Boise State. He's coaching now under Brian Kelly. He has uh, a coaching, coaching family, so he has probably more connections than the average 33-year-old coordinator. Um, Obviously, the, the job better name has done this year, despite a lot of injuries and a lot of various issues, has been pretty remarkable. Um, so, so I think he's really interesting name, and you might be kind of exploiting an inefficiency in that he's probably a guy that's a, a year too young for a lot of programs to look at. But you know, if you think he's the guy and he's going to develop into a good coach, that might be the type of guy that we look towards making a hire this year just based on a flooded market. Um, obviously, Stock Frost is out there, which I think I'd be okay with. I don't know, you know. Uh, you know, there seemed to be a kind of like mixed reaction to him, but um, ultimately, I think it's a splashy hire, uh, one that Syracuse can realistically make. I think people get people people's attention, uh, and then there's you know, uh, and then there's you know, the, the, the legion of Mac coaches, Dino Babers, has done a lot of uh, a lot of talk. Um, I'd be all right with a lot of those guys. I, I really just want an offensive person. Um, I think at this point, it's, at this point, it's, it's easier to find hand off the uh, just hand off the defense. But uh, I think your head coach really needs to be concerned with offense um, um, and, and, and making sure that points are on the board and people are in the stands and everything else. Uh, I think that's kind of a bit an issue the last couple of years. Um, I saw someone on the internet, and I have no idea who it was or where it was, so I wish I could give you credit. But someone said Schaefer um, tends to coach like he has like the 85 Bears defense, uh, even this year when he has like a bottom 20 defense in the country. And I think an offensive mind is less likely to make decisions based on, oh, the defense will definitely get a stop, even when that's like totally flies in the face of what we actually see on the field. So hope we get a someone with a dynamic offensive background, I think that's, really the, that's most really the most important thing for me. Yeah, I think that's a smart perspective, to be honest. You know, I, I 
I think you're right. Um, SU under Schaefer, both when he was coordinator and as a head coach, kind of leaned on the fact that you know the defense will make the stop. But you look at an offensive-minded team, and they're very much going to be, let's, let's try to put points on the board, let's try to win the game. And if we have to, we can put it on the defense, but by and large, let's not default to that. That's not to say that I prefer a team that, that isn't defensively minded. I would say I do, in many ways, uh, prefer a team that, that is going to be very strong on defense um, and doesn't make its offense do all the heavy lifting. But I think that there's a balance, um, and it's one that, that, yeah, we might be able to find with a guy like Frost. I think Frost is intriguing, and especially because um, even with, I think, a downgrade in talent this year, um, I, I think he's still running an offense very similar to what we can do with Eric Dungy, and I think um, he's largely been able to protect, I mean, yes, with some better offensive linemen, but largely been able to protect um, Vernon Adams, who, who's you know, you know, a smaller guy than, than, than Eric Dungy and, and a guy who, who definitely you know, has some similar traits. I, I think that fit, if we're looking for you know, um, just coach to, to personnel, I think that um, while it's obviously scaled down in terms of talent, um, on SU's offense, I think that that would be a perfect fit right off the bat. Um, that something that could yield some really great results um, right out of the box. I mean, I think he's not my clubhouse favorite necessarily, but I, I think that that could be the quickest. As, as far as the coordinators, anyway, that would be the quickest um, kind of implementation and, and and probably results that we'd see is if we had Frost. Yeah, and Oregon's offense has always been really good about adapting to the talent on the field. I mean, there are years where they pass all over the place. There are years that they run 60% of the time. Um, I do think Dungey is a type of quarterback that could excel in that type of system. Um, I even think, like, looking at Jordan Fredericks, he kind of reminds me of Royce Freeman a little bit. Um, and they use different running backs. Like, that. That people have that idea of, you know, you needing to have certain players to fit that system. And maybe on a larger scheme you do. Um, but they, but, but they, plug they plug in all types of players. Like they, they have big tight, tight ends. They have ridiculously uh, fast, speedy receivers. Guys like Steve Ishmael who are kind of, you know, cut from the mold of like the standard wide receiver one that you always see. So I actually think that he'd be able to come in here and find, make something really, uh, really interesting from those pieces. Um, now, if you don't want to give him credit for Chip Kelly's system, obviously, that's, you know, that's the risk you take, is can he implement this without having Chip Kelly come in first? But uh, I do think he'll get a big look, and I think I'd be mostly on board with that. I'd be very interested to see how he installed that system, and I think it'd be exciting for the fans to know, hey, you know, we're obviously not going to be Oregon right away, but you can go look and see what uh, this exactly. <laughs> it's not like we have to speculate as to what it looks like, like we seemingly every year up until this point. So that would be nice. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think that's you know, <coughs> excuse me, one reason why um, you know he's definitely in that conversation. Another name that I think, and we don't have to go down a list of people uh, today, but I think another name that that I've definitely been seeing tossed around, uh, Joe Molia uh, from down in. Uh, Coastal Carolina. Um, obviously, he has an interesting backstory. He, I know uh, Kevin Trahan over at uh, SB Nation brought up some interesting points yesterday that uh, that he might bring, you know, some extra off the field clout um, and kind of you know some of the financial backing that that SU really needs. And, and without you know a, a T Boone um, or or a, or a Knight or anybody like that, you know, SU really kind of needs that influx of cash. Um, to, to maybe get more competitive right away, uh, Dan, do, do you think that? Do you think that the, the age part for Molly? I mean, you know, he's uh, he's mid sixties already. I think the age part hurts his chances. Do you think that it's worth taking a flyer um, on someone like that that can really kind of transform the character of a program, or do you think that that this is something that um, we need to establish ourselves less as a mercenary type job and more of a stepping stone type job with a guy who? Yes, he may end up moving on, but he'll be moving on with SU in a better place. Um, he's super intriguing. Um, he's super intriguing. Uh, it's tough to know really what he'd do at this level because there is a pretty good step up in Coastal Carolina. But um, I do think the age is probably the main factor working against him. I think he's 66 right now, which is, which is, you know, getting up there. 
So really, um, so really what you would be looking at is he's stepping into what will be in all likelihood his only FBS job. So he's not going to, you know, for those afraid of him using as a stepping stone, he's definitely not going to be doing that. This is going to be, you know, he's going to do this for six, seven years, see how good he can be at it, and that's probably it. Which is interesting, because um, uh, uh, then you want you want to know if he has a, a contingency plan for after he retires. Um, I don't know a ton about his schemes, but his his general like outlook on football is super interesting. If you all go read from maybe a week or two ago, there was a really good piece on Campus Rush, the uh, Sports Illustrated subsite on him, which is, is definitely worth a look. Basically, he's all about exploiting efficiency and, and maximizing the way players practice and, and you, know, he cuts down you know, he cuts down practice time, but as more guys doing more things at once and no one's standing around, he's all about just maximizing the things um, within a football program that, like your average coach who wasn't a, a Wall Street CEO who made like hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, isn't quite as focused on. So. I definitely, um, I definitely wouldn't rule him out. I think he's worth an interview. Uh, obviously, the success at Coastal Carolina's beats for itself. He, he inherited a team that was playing like two games, and I think he won like two or nine, like two or three years after that. And they have been consistently one of the best FCS programs. Um, he's way out of the box. But I don't necessarily think, like Trahan said in that SB Nation piece, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think out of the box is something that Syracuse needs to consider because it's you know it's not a it's kind of an out of the box program. It's you know upstate New York and and not in a natural recruiting ground and all you know we all know the Syracuse situation. He's obviously a New York guy. So definitely intrigued by him. I wouldn't like say he's my number one choice or anything, but. Be I'd be super interested to know more about what his plans, you know, for, an what his plans for an FPS team would be. No, completely agree. And I think, you know, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Um, if Coastal wasn't moving up, if there wasn't as much hype, like if that article hadn't come out, maybe you'd be able to convince him to come on as a coordinator for the right amount of money. But yeah, I, I don't think that, that this is, the type of guy who's going to be anything but a head coach. Um, but, yeah, it, his time to move is now. If, if he does move, you know what? Part of me isn't even sure he does. Um, I just don't know if the right – like, the only other program you could potentially see him landing at is Rutgers, um, which, if he works out, that's a complete disaster for Syracuse, um, especially as they probably lose their top New Jersey recruiter in Bobby Acosta. But, you know, that, that's a lot of what-if games. Uh, that we can't really play right now necessarily. Um, Dan, I know before the last like week or so, we were talking about you know what kind of budget SU has. Um, I know we talked about them in the comments, uh, just in Slack in general. Um, I think we were all kind of saying around 2.5 seemed right. Um, I think based on the money Houston and Memphis and others are now willing to spend um, below the P5 level, I think we're suddenly looking at uh, does Syracuse have to spend $3 million um, to make this work? And, and do we think that with that in mind, does a $5 million or so cap still work for an entire staff? Or, or does this team, and, and Mark Coyle particularly, you know, really have to be ready to shell out as much as possible to save football? Because if this doesn't work out, you know, we're looking at our, uh, our third you know, swing and miss in, in the last four hires. Um, I, I don't know that we need to, like, go start throwing, like, SEC money at people, but I do think Syracuse needs to be competitive in terms of salary structure, which, from all, I mean, we don't know the official numbers, but we pretty good, have a pretty good idea that Scott Schaefer was making about $1.3 million. Um, Marone was making about the same, I think, uh, which is just way low. And, and obviously Schaefer was an internal hire and was not a guy that was getting, you know, a ton of outside looks. So, you know, maybe that was a market value for him. But I was never under the impression that with that we were able to uh, go and spend more on assistance based on the fact that we were hiring a lot of Mac and D3, uh, D3 guys who weren't commanding very much. Um so yeah, we need to step it up, especially with, uh, in, in you know with the assistant coaches. Uh, that's going to be a big sticking point for a lot of guys. Um, 
I don't know if we need to pay a lot more than two, two and a half million for a head coach. I think that's about the right number. But um, if you're going to tell him he has to put together a staff based on guys who are willing to take, you know, group of five level salaries at a, a tough ACC job, it's just not going to work out. So that's definitely a big, uh, a big factor here, and it's it's hard to know how it'll work out because Toil is uh, obviously coming in and, and changing pretty much all the things that we know about how. Uh, works but with gross it was definitely um an issue i think yeah I, i'd agree there and i think you know um in the comments i think it was a orange man fighter the night man uh, brought up a a good um point that you know for everything we think we knew about syracuse syracuse we thought we're screwed in terms of an ad hire there's going to be no big names going to be no big school tie and then coil comes in a guy that we didn't really have as a consideration, if only because we thought he was unattainable. Um, I, I think that Coyle um, and Sivarud are, are definitely, you know, the new brain trust. Um, with Sivarud really, you know, I think handling the reins much, much more uh, with regard to athletics than Cantor did. Um, and I see, I see us willing to spend smart money, and, and smart money can be $3 million if we get the right guy. Um, I, I, I think Syracuse could surprise us here again. Um, and I hope that's in a positive way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, this, this is going to be something that we're far di- from done talking about. Hopefully this is only a couple more weeks of this and us talking about this and then there's a higher, but well, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Luckily, yeah, luckily just based on the few things we know about Mark Coyle and how he works, he's very deliberate. He's very deliberate. Um, he makes decisions, and it's not like we have like there are. This AD does not have a lot of leaks coming out of it from the coil end, like the curse, uh, like the curse, curse one did. Curse was uh, parading around a, a tennis club, talking about how we were getting invited to pin straight bowl the one time. So this is not the same AD. Um, I think the decision will probably be made smartly. I'm sure he had a list already, just based on you know if this doesn't work out with with Schaefer, he had to have guys in mind. Um, he just he seems very impressive. So I, I would not be shocked if we were one of the first dominoes to fall here, even though we're just getting into the game. Yeah, I'd agree there. I don't think we had the luxury to wait um, for you know other pieces to fall and for other folks to you know get somewhere. I think coil his names. Most, some of them we know, some of them maybe we don't or aren't at least as familiar with. Um, but yeah, Syracuse is not in a position where we can wait for other schools to to make their decisions. We need to act fast. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and we need to be out ahead of a lot of these hires um, before, you know, similar schools lose their coaches to larger schools and then suddenly some of our top candidates are well out the window. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Rutgers. It's kind of confusing that it hasn't opened up at this point, unless they like, really don't want to buy out blood. But that's something that should open like that's something that should open up, which is obviously like the peer program that we all cite. And then there's a number of others. And then there's a number of others that are similar, like you said. That we want to be out. You know, we want to be out in front of that one, so we get our guy, and that's part of the thing that you accomplish by firing Schaefer before the season ends. Although I'm sure Coyle, although I'm sure Coyle knew a couple weeks ago that this was how it was going to go. And and like we said, he I would not be surprised if he's already you know the feelers out and people are lining up to take interviews, take interviews, and and we go through that whole process. So hopefully we get it done pretty quick. And I think we'll start. And I think we'll start to see if not Syracuse, I think we'll start to see some of these hires come in like the next two or three weeks. Could not agree more. I guess the lunatic fringe of Syracuse fandom get to the. Flight tracking sites, so you can uh, so you can see who's showing up. Yeah, I appreciate those people. Yeah, I appreciate those people. Just, it's not something I'd ever think to do. But if you send me a link that says there's a flight coming in from Eugene, then yeah, I'll look at it. Same. This should be fun. Um, before we get to halftime, uh, obviously Syracuse has one last game this weekend. Scott Schaefer will be coaching along with the rest of the staff. Um, this game is probably going to be mostly unwatchable for both fan bases just because you have two teams that have struggled on offense. Um, SU's defense has struggled, but and this might sound optimistic, but I, I don't think any amount of, of, of horrid play or, or terrible tackling can, can put, allow Boston College to put more than 25 points on the board uh, based on what their offense has accomplished. Um, I think it's going to be an ugly game, but the most important storyline here 
is Orange Eagle Points, as uh, I've been quick to remind people on Twitter, um, and we've mentioned in several articles since uh, the season started, SU is off to a pretty crazy start um, in our annual athletics competition with the uh, SB Nation's Boston College blog, BC Interruption. Um, we are currently up 50-6 to six now after a, uh, a banner weekend for, uh, for the Orange. Two national championships, one for uh, field hockey, one for men's cross country. Um, Dan, do you think if Syracuse can pull off the, the football win here for another 12 points, um, is 62-6 to six, um, pretty insurmountable in, in terms of the Orange Eagle competition? Are we going to see our first true blowout in the history of this, uh, of this well, short history anyway, of this award? It sure seems that way. I mean, Syracuse hasn't really started really <coughs> in the spring and the winter. Obviously, BC has hockey, which is good for them. But SU has lacrosse, which should be good as always. And, and yeah, this uh, <laughs> this really didn't go well for BC. Um, because, I don't know, when was the last time that a non- but a basketball uh, or lacrosse, lacrosse Syracuse team won a national championship? I asked that on Twitter. I don't think, I I don't think there's been – there really haven't been many, to be honest. I know – the rifle team way back in the day, um, which no longer exists. Yeah, no longer exists. Uh, wrestling? Did they ever win? I know they were uh, pretty competitive for a long time. I don't know if they ever won, but they were very good. They might have. I should probably look this up. But yeah, like you don't expect uh, BC or Syracuse. You don't expect one of the non-hockey for BC, hockey for BC, lacrosse for Syracuse. I mean, maybe we didn't really expect cross-country field hockey. Obviously, we've been knocking on the door, so that wasn't, like, a huge shock. But uh, to win back-to-back national titles in two days was pretty awesome, even for sports that, like, admittedly, we don't watch that often. And, you know, we don't follow as closely as football or basketball. But, you know, it's obviously great for Syracuse. Um, it got us a little bit of a... A little bit of a national attention from those who, you know, followed the E, non-revs. Um, and it's I, I always appreciate having a, a deep and you know widespread athletic department. And you could probably say this weekend was uh, for for good and bad was kind of uh, exemplified Dr. Gross's legacy at Syracuse, both uh, you know with how the football team was and also with you know cross country and field hockey, which are sports that blossom under his tutelage, winning it all. Winning it all. So good on you, Dr. Gross, except for the football thing. Agreed, agreed. Uh, just pulled up the uh, Syracuse National Championships uh, webpage, and you get to Cues.com. There's a very nice banner uh, saluting the uh, two national championships from this past weekend. Uh, the most recent non-basketball or lacrosse championship was men's crew in 1978. Wow. wow. Yeah, we, uh, from 19... 19- and we're usually pretty good in that, so that doesn't shock me, but... I'm actually surprised. I forgot about the crew. I'm surprised that it was like that long ago. I feel like the crew and the rowing. I feel like the crew and the rowing team. Yeah, we had. Um, there was a pretty solid gap from 1959 to 1978. We didn't win any national championships. There was just the football title, and then the men's crew won on the other side. Um, we've won men's cross country before. 1951. 1951. Yes, we won 51, and then we won the AAU championship in 49. Uh, we won the boxing national championship in 1936, which bet most people did not know. Um, we have eight boxing individual championships, six from gymnastics, one from track, seven for wrestling. Um, and then, yeah, that's mostly it. There's a bunch of crew stuff. Yeah, we definitely have a, a well-regarded crew team. I think it's it's interesting because I know everyone cites that... Uh, that Tar Heel blog conversation that we had um, a couple years ago about you know them believing that they were going to beat us in all these non-revenue sports and things and um, behind the scenes Syracuse is like quietly turned into UVA um, if for for better and for worse um, <laughs> I feel like you know we uh, we obviously excel at lacrosse we excel at basketball uh, we've been terrible at football um, and we win non-revenue national championships every year um, and this has become this is suddenly becoming a thing. Um, and I think, you know, we're director's cup may seem stupid, but at the same time, um, having a really well-rounded program, um, as long as, you know, basketball and football can actually pull their weight, um, is, you know, you really can't look down on that. It's something that, that, that grows kind of our notoriety in athletic communities and academic communities, um, shows us to be, you know, 
not necessarily you know such a boys club but one that really does promote women's sports there's just a lot um there's a lot of nuances that go into this and it's something that you know again for all the flack dr gross took you you can't fault him for it for what he's done here um and hopefully you know this is just the first um step toward su really truly establishing themselves um as you know an all sports program and, and not what it had been for years which is a three sport program Yeah, and, and uh, hopefully with football, uh, with football uh, on the rebound, potentially on the rebound, we can start to you know make the money that program should make with that sport and uh, reinvest it and maybe launch some more programs that we always talk about, which would be nice. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing a couple others. Um, I don't know how high on the priorities list um, hockey and baseball are from Mark Coyle, but yeah, we'll see. Oh, definitely throw a hockey year and baseball tag in there because then people have hundreds of people listening to this podcast. Always happens when that conversation comes up. Every time. So halftime. Dan, what have you been drinking? You know, I've been down in North Carolina trying plenty of new things, but what about yourself? Pretty standard week. A lot of Druze Islands and good Magic Hat. Kind of the normal Stuff you can find all over. A lot of, lot of Magic Hat number nine this weekend just because that tended to pop up wherever I was. And it's always a safe bet. Nice, nice. Going through the list. Let's see what we got. Um, I've been drinking a lot from Wicked Weed uh, down here. They, uh, they're very excellent. I would highly recommend anytime anyone's in North Carolina, you get as much of their stuff as possible. They actually have been bottling a ton lately. So you'll find a lot more of their selections um, in bottles at uh, select shops. Uh, I know I had a pernicious IPA last night, and it was truly an excellent IPA, one of the better ones I've had all year, um, which is, I think, saying a lot, um, at least from my point of view. Um, some other things that I've been enjoying, um, also had Wicked Weeds, Black Angel Cherry Sour. I have a couple more of theirs in the fridge, too, before I leave. Um, I was at Trophy Brewing Company um, over in Raleigh, uh, was hopping around a couple bars and, and, and spots in downtown Raleigh the other night after the NC State game um, and stopped at Trophy. They had their uh, Hop Shake. It was a uh, kind of vanilla um, IPA that was kind of meant to taste a little bit like a hoppy vanilla shake, and it was absolutely delicious. Um, Dan, I have a feeling you would have really liked this one. Um, just a really enjoyable take on an IPA that, while it stayed true to the original style, had a, had a very curious bend. Um, that that I think people might find interesting. Hoppy milkshake, definitely, Hoppy milkshake uh, definitely is definitely, uh, is definitely an interesting one. I don't I don't know that I've ever thought about know that, that I've ever thought about that. But um, yeah, we're definitely we're yeah. That one from. We're definitely that's from that Trophy. Next time you visit your brother, tell him let's go drive to Raleigh. That's a possibility. <laughs> um, let's see. What else did I drink? Oh, uh, Great Lakes Brewing. They're a Christmas ale. Uh, probably the best Christmas ale I've had in a while. Um, just really, really enjoyable stuff. Got a nice kind of cranberry spice to it. It's it's just a very, very um, good holiday beer. I wish we had it out by me because uh, you're not really going to find much um, with regard to that. Um, and also had the... Uh, Tropic Most Goza from uh, Wicked Weed over at uh, Raleigh's Flying Saucer. Um, for those who've been, there's a bunch of Flying Saucer uh, locations around the uh, middle of the country, the southeast of the country. They're cool spots. Um, they really focus on a lot of local craft beer. Um, so yeah, that was that was an enjoyable one. And yeah, I had a pretty good night out there and I have plenty more in the fridge that I'll get to uh, talk through on next week's podcast. stuff stuff so uh on to basketball obviously want to close out with that got about 20 minutes or so left um dan what are your thoughts through three games things have not looked easy and uh that's disconcerting in some ways but in others it's 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 whatever as as we have a young team that obviously had to get some jitters out um and i can deal with it as long as it leads to something better yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing 
kind of the growing pains for this team. Um, it's very young. Not that that's a valid excuse, as we've learned in other sports, but um, obviously Jim Beheim's earned a little bit of rope, I'd say. Um, but yeah, I think we continue to see uh, the issues inside. Um, Beheim said, you know, Leiden playing center best for the team uh, last game. I, he was insinuating it was not the best of the team going forward, which I agree with. He was clearly playing out of position there, um, although he did make some nice plays, especially, uh, I think, a lot of four shots, and two of them were really nice. Um, but ideally, uh, we need to start getting more out of our two centers, um, which is just not happening yet. So, you know, I think Daywan's health is going to be kind of a, an important running storyline because there are so many question marks still around how much he can play and how effective he can be. He shows kind of sparks here and there, but uh, overall, he's definitely not in game shape, which you don't expect him to be. He hasn't played in two years. So hopefully this is just a rust thing and not a, you know, sign of things to come. Um, overall, I mean, I appreciate this team... Uh, seems to know how to go on runs late in the games. They've done it every single game. They've pulled away um, kind of midway through the second half and, and haven't looked back and have been pretty good at hitting free throws and making good shots down the stretch. But we're also seeing, you know, mid-first half swoons, which uh, have played the team the last couple of years. Um, the shooting hasn't been, like, dry ever one game, but it definitely goes through spurts where, you know, the... Uh, you know, the ball <coughs> just won't find the, the, the net, and we're taking probably a few too many threes. Um, luckily, Tyler Roberson was a monster last game. Uh, and, I uh, and I think we talked about that, if not on the podcast, on the site a bit. Like, we need Roberson to show up and be a major factor, and he showed what he can do uh, when he does that. I mean, I, I don't know if anyone quite knew he had 20 and 16 until the stats came out, but um, he uh, he. Definitely made a big impact, and I don't know that we would have won so that game without him. So hopefully these things continue to gel, and uh, I don't know how much you know how much of a ceiling this team has if we don't get something out of Coleman and Aboko. Um, but it's kind of fun seeing this team grind out wins. Although I would appreciate a nice like thirty point win at some point down the stretch. Yeah, I mean I think the thirty point wins are kind of a must. You can't, especially with the ACC, the way it's it's a true grind. There's so few. Um, kind of, you know, easy teams. I mean, you look at what's happened around that league, even in non-conference. I mean, Wake Forest beating Indiana last night. There's Florida State lost to an easy team, but that doesn't mean that they're a bad team. There's there's just too much going on um, in the ACC um, to really take a night off. So to have no nights off in the non-conference sets you up to be gassed at the end of the season. Now, we, we've talked about this before, but way too many minutes already on... Uh, on the guards, uh, I know Cooney's playing 38 minutes a night. That's not going to be sustainable. Um, it's something you can do during conference play if you've had some rest. With him playing 38, uh, Ben playing 34. You got Malachi, young kid. He hasn't played this type of schedule with the the rigor and everything else that goes with it. At 33 minutes per game, just about. Um, I think Roberson can handle 29. I think Lydon, again, another guy who probably could use a couple less minutes, if only because. Um, you know, things are going to get more intense and the rotation is going to get tighter as we get to the ACC play. Um, I, I do think that, you know, it was great to see 20 and 16 from Roberson the other night, but my one issue there is that we really can't count on 20 and 16 from anyone any night. Um, I, I think that if Roberson can keep himself a consistent, you know, 10 and 10 guy, I, I think that that would be, that would be a great accomplishment for him. It'd be a great accomplishment for the team. Um, Obviously, I want Trevor Cooney to shoot less three-point uh, three shots, as evidenced by the podcast last week um, and the article uh, I wrote thereafter. Um, I, I think that the, the one factor in something, again, we talked about last week, I feel like um, in many ways these first three games are kind of mirror images of one another. Um, Caleb Joseph, I understand he's in, he's in the proverbial dark doghouse. He has to get out. Um, because it, it could hurt the team in the long run to have him not gobbling up more minutes um, and, and allowing these guys to get some rest before ACC play starts. Yeah, the, the Caleb thing. Yeah, the, the Caleb thing continues to be a mystery because he, I mean, he, I don't know how many minutes he played the last game. It was only a handful. <laughs> it's not very apparent to me what he's uh, what he's doing wrong. Um, I don't know. If it's just like 
one, you know, for with Bayheim it, it can be like one little thing. So hopefully, uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully he figures it out. Hopefully he figures it out because we just can't afford to go riding with like six, five or six guys. It just, like you said, it, it just won't work down the stretch here. Completely agree. Um, I also noticed you brought up the uh, the second half surge stuff, and that's interesting because I feel like last season um, this was a team that knew how to get off the hot, hot starts and, and be you know, kind of neck and neck with some great teams at the half. Um, they're a team that faded in the second. Um, do you think that this sort of experience helps them uh, long term as they, uh, they maybe turn into a second half team that might be able to surprise some folks um, and might be able to you know benefit them as they kind of learn how to save energy for, for late in games when it truly matters versus how they played, I feel like, last year and a lot of other years, too, um, in recent memory um, of a team that kind of skated through the second half um, after kind of coming out on fire? Uh, it's hard to tell based on who we've played so far. Um, I think we'll know a lot more after the tournament in the Bahamas. Um, but you certainly hope so. I mean, uh, this team... Um, is not going to be able to uh, let teams kind of jump all over them. So you kind of hope they can balance it out because uh, with kind of the rebounding issues and some of the, the depth issues, you know, getting in a hole for this team while I can get Hopkins three and shoot out of it is not something I want to test every game because we all know there's going to be a couple of games where this team shoots like 15% from three. And if that's the case, it's going to get buried. Agreed. Um so I guess looking at the battle for Atlantis field, based on what we've seen so far, um, Dan, what do you think is going to happen here? Do you think uh, think Charlotte's another kind of closer than it should be, maybe 10 to 15 point win, um, and then guess who do we face after that, and, and how do you see this thing playing out? Um, I think Charlotte lost one of the teams. I think Did they lose to Elon earlier? They year? did. I feel I should probably... Yeah, so I'm not too worried. Yeah, about so I'm not too worried about them. Um, I am, I am worried if we have to play UConn. I think they're pretty good. I think Michigan. Uh, I think they have, they have a loss early this year, but I think all these. I think all these teams are are pretty tough. Um, it's going to be a very good test. Uh, I thought Michigan was probably maybe a little overhyped coming into the year. Oh, they also Xavier by like 16. Xavier's all right, but that's a pretty bad loss. But um, I think I'd rather play Michigan in terms of, like, getting a win. I think that's probably the better better option, although that means they would have beaten UConn and beat Charlotte. But uh, play UConn and getting the rivalry back, um, albeit kind of you know, way away from where we're used to it. Uh, would be fun, too. Uh, would be fun, too. But overall, I, I think after last year, I'm less afraid of losing these early games because I went through so much of my Syracuse career having only lost that Cleveland State non-conference team. Um, at this point, I mean, this is this seems a work in progress, so if we drop one, not the end of the world. But um, I just hope when the first big test at Michigan or Connecticut, they uh, they come out and look competitive, and, and this team isn't going to be like one that can just speak by mid majors and then struggles against real opponents. Um, but you know, it might just take seeing a team with one of those uniforms on before they really could get into gear. So we'll we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, I guess for me, you know, I, I would love us to be able to get to a final game against uh, Gonzaga or someone like that. Um, my, my big thing is, you know, if, if we become out flat against Charlotte, beat them, but then lose to a Michigan or Connecticut, I get worried about what happens in that consolation game um, that they'll have us play. Um, and I believe we have that, because we have that no matter what, right? Um, I, think if, I think we play the loser, this is like a consolation game, we just play the loser of, of Connecticut and Michigan. Um, yeah, so right. I, I guess I kind of worry about us coming out flat after we already lost in the tournament, potentially picking up two losses, um, you know, right off the bat. I mean, could be quality losses, but at the end of the day, you can only take so many of those before you need some wins to balance them out. Yeah, I mean, we're going to want to pick up. The ACC, I think, is going to be a total grind this year, just based on what we've seen so far. Obviously, I enjoy um, Wake Forest beating Indiana, but then it kind of scares me that, oh, Wake Forest is expected to be, what, like the 10th best team in this league, maybe? So, I mean, yeah. I mean, on the other hand, you have NC State losing to William Mary and to 
I think William and Mary. So um, it goes both ways, but I think the ACC is going to be a, a total grind this year. So while you know learning experiences and good losses are fine, you know once or twice, uh, this team could definitely use a couple nice uh, nice resume builders early this year. Yep, I completely agree. Um, so Dan, uh, any other parting thoughts before we uh, head to our Thanksgiving holidays, respectively? Uh, for football, for basketball, any other sports that might come to mind? Um, I hope we, um, I hope we continue to win all the national championships in the world. Um, um, I hope that Stott Schaefer has a nice final game and to pick up a win. Uh, as I tweeted, I hope he gets a nice reception because while it didn't work out as head coach, I think he was important to getting this program. Um, if it's not totally back yet, it's not even at you know 6 and 18 over two years. It's not... Um, nearly as bad as it was, nearly as bad as it was under Robinson. So, and he, so, and, and he deserves a lot of credit for, for being establishing for establishing the defense and whatnot before uh, he became head coach. Uh, so, hopefully the uh, fans are pretty respectful to him. He's, he's you know, I'm sure he's had a pretty terrible week. Um, getting one over BC would be cool. Uh, winning, keep on winning in the soccer NCAA tournament would be cool. Winning in the Palmas would be great. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Uh, yeah, I agree with all that. And yeah, I, I would have to say again, you know, I said this on Twitter. I said this in the comments section. Uh, Scott Schaefer isn't a bad guy. Um, he's he, he was a great defensive coach for us when we needed him to be. Um, might not have worked out as a head coach, but that doesn't take away from what he contributed to us um, and, and our, you know, kind of long-term prospects. I mean, things were pretty dire after after the Greg Robinson era, and he was part of, you know, kind of that groundswell um, under Marone to to get back to respectability very quickly. I mean, I think he he should definitely be appreciated for that. Um, so yeah, it'd be, be nice to see a uh, good reception for him and, and, and a and a nice send off, um, hopefully with a win um, in his final game on the SU sidelines. Um, Dan, have a happy Thanksgiving, and everyone listening, hope you do as well. Yes, you too. Enjoy the uh, the East Coast. I will, as I do once a year. We have our podcast from the same time zone. Um, so, yeah. A tradition unlike, a tradition unlike <laughs> any other. All right, everyone. Enjoy your holiday. Uh, and go Orange in all of your sporting endeavors. Go Orange. Go Orange. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.